Ramble. If you love concerts and you love great deals, this is the one for you. Live Nation just started their annual concert week. Starting now, that means you have until May 14th to get tickets to over 5,000 summer shows for only $25. That's up to 75% off for tickets to your favorite artists, including 21 Savage, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists that you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Bada bing, bada boom. Congresswoman Floor had a lot going for her in terms of voter appeal. So her whole identity, her whole branding to the general public was a politician's dream. She nailed every single demographic and hit back at every single objection there was. Sure, She's a woman, but Fleur de Lis, she was, she was in a career-driven professional. She was maternal. She had 55 adopted children. 55. Jeez. Her whole political campaign was for advocating for children's rights, and it just came naturally to her. People respected her for it. Flora had a stable marriage to a pastor named Anderson, so she's got the relationship. They lived in a huge gated compound with like dozens of their adopted children. It's the perfect family. And additionally, Flora herself, she was a pastor too. She had six mega churches. She held sermons every single Sunday without skipping a beat. And she's a gospel singer that sold over 10 million copies of her album. She's got the ideal image for someone that you would want to represent you. She's ballsy. She goes up against the local gangs. She's not scared to speak her mind and demand the government do the right thing. The only thing that's standing in the way of her career, it seemed, were these pesky rumors that just like would never quiet down. Rumors about how Congresswoman Floor and her husband's sex life was, um, interesting. Whispers about how the two had a very, um intense intimate life which is fine considering that they're you know married and they have a family right what's the big deal it was a lot darker than that there were reports of people saying that the couple were spotted at sex clubs swingers clubs specifically where couples show up with masks and just start swapping partners while everybody including their own husband and wives they watch And again, nobody is judging that. But when you're a congresswoman and a pastor, like these types of rumors, they're going to be taken a lot more seriously. It's rumored the couple were such frequent visitors of these sex clubs that they even had their own private room there that they would go to and sometimes even bring their own friends. Friends that were influential people in the religious or political space. So the rumor is intense. But more sinister than that was the rumor that the couple would show up to these swingers clubs with their own adopted children. It's alleged that they were at one of these sex parties on June 16th, 2019. The congresswoman and her husband were out until about four in the morning. Security cameras show them pulling up into their gated compound back home. They're they're getting back home from their little date. Anderson, the husband, is driving, and congresswoman Flora was in the passenger seat, relaxing, playing a mobile game called Pet Rescue. It's very similar to like Candy Crush. They pull into their gate at home. Anderson parks the car and he tells his wife, hey, I think I'm going to sit in the car real quick to finish up a few quick emails before heading in. I mean, I imagine that it's really hectic in their house with that many kids. So maybe this is the only quiet space that he has. They live with 55 kids? I think they live with like 30 at a time. 
because a lot of them had grown up and moved out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Floor nodded. She slipped out of the passenger seat, slipped off her heels, and started walking into their house. She turned around before she closed the door behind her and looked at her husband and said, Don't forget to close the gate. She smiled, went into the house, and beelined it for one of the kids' rooms. Earlier, when they were pulling into the house, she saw that one of the kids' lights was on. They have church tomorrow, and it's four in the morning. What are they doing still up? So she opens the door, and it's not even one of her adopted kids. It's her grandson, Ramon. So there's, like, multiple generations in this family. There's a lot going on. And she's scolding him, like, what did I tell you about staying up late? And all of a sudden... All hell breaks loose. Rapid fire gunshots going off. And it sounds really, really, really close by. Back to back to back gunshots. Boom, boom, boom. The kids in the house, they all wake up from it. They're scrambling. Floor is running downstairs screaming. Three of the kids would run out of the house. And that's when they saw their father, Anderson, on the pavement with like 30 wounds to his body. He had been shot about 18 times. Why is it 30 shots? Sometimes the bullet will go in from the side and exit. So the exit wounds are considered wounds. And most of the wounds were focused on his private parts. There was a lot of blood everywhere. The house goes into full-blown chaos. Kids are screaming, call the authorities. Some of the kids, they're standing frozen. They're so speechless. They're, some of them are sobbing on the ground. You can't even tell them, come on, do something. They're inconsolable. Congresswoman Floor was being held back from all the doors and windows in the house by her adopted children. Whether they were concerned for her safety or whether they knew that her husband was dead on the pavement outside and didn't want her to see that, it's unclear. But in a 911 call, one of the kids tells the operator, from what I saw here, Anderson's gone. He's gone. He's dead. The kids decided that they still don't want to just wait for authorities to show up. They spring into action and they lift their father's body from the ground into the car. They drive him to the hospital, but it seemed likely that everyone there that in the house that night, they already knew that Anderson, their dad, he was dead. Daniel is the couple's only biological son. He was the, one of the first to get to the hospital. He was in the car that drove their father Anderson there. And he's sitting in the waiting room and in walks his mother, Floor. She had come in in a separate car. And she demanded all the hospital staff, I need to see my husband. I need to see my husband right now. She's begging the nurses to take her to him immediately. And the nurses look down at their feet and they tell her, I'm sorry, Congresswoman Floor, but he's gone. There's nothing that they can do. Floor's husband was dead, and she drops to the floor, screaming in shock. She's like, this can't be. My husband, my husband, what is our family going to do? My husband. Some of the kids are trying to comfort their mom, hold her. But Daniel, their only biological son, he just watched. And he just thought, it was so odd, her reaction. Because they already knew that dad was dead. There were messages on Flora's phone about how she wanted one of her 55 adopted children to kill her husband for her. And Anderson was not just Congresswoman Flora's husband. He was her adoptive son. So she's, he's not the husband? She adopted him and then married him. And then she wanted to kill him? Allegedly. 
and his murder would blow the door open right into Congresswoman Floor's home. There will be allegations of essay abuse between mother and son, father and daughter, even between adoptive sibling, sister and brother. There are allegations of dark magic being used, rituals, sacrifices being held to gain status, money, fame, power. This is one of Brazil's most controversial cases, the case of Flor de Lee, Mother Flower. We would like to thank today's sponsors who have made it possible for Rotten Mango to support the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Their focus is on finding missing children, reducing child exploitation, and the prevention of child victimization. They have been dedicated in their fight to protect children from all angles and is currently one of the most trusted and reliable nonprofits for children experiencing abuse. This episode's partnerships have also made it possible to support Rotten Mango's growing team of dedicated researchers and translators while they focus on shedding light on stories from all over the world. And we would also like to thank you guys for your continued support as we work on our mission to be worthy advocates of these causes. As always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. And with that being said, before we dive into today's story, we had a ton of members on our team working on this. Um, we had six people working on this case alone. It is a behemoth of a case, genuinely. We had three translators who spoke Portuguese help assist with gathering of the data on this one. But it is still an incredibly complicated, controversial case. There's probably at least like 100 people involved, either directly or indirectly, probably in the hundreds, if I'm being honest. There's constant contradicting statements, contradicting sources. Everyone seems to have their own perspective and reasoning for what they say truly happened. Our researchers try to refer to the more trustworthy sources as much as possible. So court documents, official documentaries, testimonies to make the whole process as accurate as possible. But when you have that many people involved with their own story of what really happened or what they believed happened, it's just going to get really, really messy very quickly. So as always, please let us know in the comments if something was lost in translation, miscommunicated, or if you have any additional things that you know about this case. And a quick disclaimer, two disclaimers. Okay, so this case takes place in Brazil and one of our researchers actually lives in Brazil. So we try to get as much of like the cultural context as possible. But just a reminder, whenever we talk about other countries, let's not throw stones from our glass houses. It seems like every country has essentially the same problems, just in varying degrees. But just to be extra clear, anything we talk about today is not a reflection on the Brazilian people as a whole. And since we're at it, this is a case where there's a lot of religious talk. This is also not representative of Christianity as a whole. And since we're at it, there is a murder victim in today's case that was later accused of doing some really, really heinous things like sexual assault. If these allegations are true, he should have been held to the highest punishment of the law and sentenced in the court system. But instead, he was murdered. And I know it sounds a bit simpler when I state it like that, but like, trust me, this case is anything but simple. There has been so much doubt created by the public on some of the essay claims, but it's not because the public doesn't want to believe the victims, but it's just really complicated. It seemed like at that point, point when these claims were coming out everybody had their own motive to talk about certain things so just keep it in mind and with that being said let's get into it it's stated that if you wanted to control someone in congresswoman flora's home this is what you would do you would grab a pot fill it with some honey melon and crystal sugar perhaps bring it to a simmer cooking up all the intention and energy and then you place in two slips of paper one with your name, the controller, and then the name of the person that you want to control. You just want to do everything. You want to think a thought and they'll do it like a robot, like a brainless zombie. 
and then you add in a piece of sentimental jewelry inside the pot. You light a candle and for seven days you pray about the intention. You pray about how you will be able to dictate everything that they think, control every thought, every emotion, every action that this person has. That is how you get to control someone. But a lot of people, at least many of Flora's adopted children would argue, that this is bordering on dark magic. And they were confused. They had been adopted by Congresswoman Floor, who is a pastor. And they're sitting there like, why is she performing rituals right now? Floor would sit them down and say, rituals had always been a part of Christianity. But they've been lost in history. They weren't written down in the Bible. Floor took these rituals very, very seriously. It said that she would lock her adopted children into dark rooms for 21 days straight, isolate them. The door would only open twice a day to slip in some food. And her kids, her adopted kids, they felt like they were going crazy. But she told them, keep praying. This was to purify them. Other times, it said that she would have them all stand in a circle, all of her adopted kids. She would hand out knives, make them cut their palms, draw blood, and write Bible verses in their own blood. Other allegations included Congresswoman Floor having sexual relations with others under the pretense of cleansing them with her seemingly dark magic powers. One man said he was certain that Flora had black magic in her body. When she was engaging in these intimate relations, he said it felt like he was in a trance, like he wasn't involved with a human. He was doing something intimate with a divine being. It was like an out-of-worldly experience. It said that Flora also believed in a deeper ritualistic meaning of certain objects. She would have wealthy businessmen come over and if they confided in her that they wanted to be even more successful in the upcoming year, she would have them get naked, sit on an apple with honey drizzled on top of it. There would be multicolored strings attached to the apple. And this was all for enlightenment, all for good luck. I'm sorry, they're sitting on a apple. Covered with honey. And that's it. That's what they're doing. And taking pictures of it. And they were naked. Yeah. So which side note, you know, I don't want to make it seem like something is wrong with this, these practices. I'm not exactly sure how to categorize them. I mean, in this context, people call them dark magic. I'm not sure if that's the right categorization. I don't think anything's inherently wrong. I think that everyone should feel free to practice whatever they want as long as nobody gets hurt. Everybody's an adult and no law is broken. But I think the negative connotation in today's case is that she's a pastor. She's supposed to be leading a group of people closer to a very specific faith that they believe in. Yet in her free time, she's doing things that most Christians would probably faint at the idea of doing. So I guess it's, it's more of the misalignment than anything. Another time, one of the adopted kids stated that she walked into a room and Congresswoman Floor's husband was standing in the middle of a chalk circle, like a circle... Like a circle on the floor. floor, Yes. And he's naked. And Congresswoman Floor starts talking, but it sounds more like a chant. She didn't really understand what was going on or what was being said. But it was very, very clear what Floor was trying to do here. Congresswoman Floor was trying to offer up her husband as a sacrifice. And when you say husband, is that the adopted child? Yeah, that she married. So when Congresswoman Floor's husband is found dead, the question came up for a lot of people. Was it really murder? Was he sacrificed? Was it black magic? Floor said when she grew up, she always wanted to be a witch just like her mom. Floor and her mom, they lived on the hill. So that might mean nothing for the people that live outside of Brazil. But in Brazil, there are, um, there's a saying, there are people who live on the asphalt and then there are those that live on the hill. If you were to see drone footage flying over parts of Brazil that you would see these beautifully, well, 
if you don't really know the context, it's beautiful. Colorful homes built almost stacked on top of each other up the hills of Brazil. They're called favelas. And there's this picture of one of the favelas at night where there's just lights lining up the hill. And there's almost this serene beauty in the picture. It looks like LA, the Hollywood Hills lit up at night. It's the type of place that you would drive by and be like, oh, what kind of people live on a house at the top of the hill? But in Brazil, it's actually the opposite. On the hill is not where you want to be. There is no government, no zoning, no building codes, no law. The houses are built typically from scrap or stolen materials. And depending on the favela, some of them don't have basic infrastructures in place like sewage networks or even clean water. Some have stated that favelas are some of the most dangerous places in all of Brazil. In Rio de Janeiro alone, it's estimated that almost 2 million people live in these favelas around the city. And around 6% of the total population of Brazil live in favelas. And it's likely not a choice. Favelas are often associated with like extreme poverty. These are the people who were pushed out of the cities because they can't afford it. So they're forced into these favelas where there's an overwhelming presence of gang activity, drug trafficking, violence. And because of the social stigma that comes in living in a favela, it becomes impossible for these people to find work. Because they're like, you live in a favela, you're probably associated with the gang. I would call favelas a city of extremes. Because there's no government oversight, you can see most extreme versions of bad and good just colliding in one place. So the bad being favelas are run by gangs, drug and arms gangs. They have all the power and influence. They are known to be ruthless, brutal. They will take civilians, stuff them into tires and light tires on fire. Then you have the good, because this is a population that is not being helped by the government. They've really become community-centered. They're very creative on trying to build this home for kids that are coming up in the favelas. Civilians are inspired to take the hardships that they face. And there's actually a very strong artistic side in favelas. Like, you will see some of the most creative people in favelas. It's interesting. And parents of children, they don't have the means to even purchase soccer balls for their kids, but you still see kids running around the hill with a ball, and it's always made out of random scraps. Recycled bottles, trash, and they just rolled it up. It was fine as long as it rolls. And then right around them, you see kids not much older than them, who were probably kicking around a ball of cans not too long ago, and now they're walking around with assault rifles, and they're part of a local gang. So it's devastating to see two extremes existing all in one place on the hill. So for today's story, all of that's to say, most people on the hill, they had no money. And Flor's mom was one of them. Flor's mom, Carmosina, and her second husband, Francisco, they had five kids to feed. So every single night they would gather around, they would sit down for dinner, and the table would be empty. And when there is no food, it's time for the witch to come out. They called Carmosina, Flora's mom, the Witch of Little Crocodile. Now, I do want to make it very clear that the next series of events I'm going to tell you about, we have no proof that it happened other than people claiming it happened. So just keep that in mind. But everyone in um, Jacarezino, otherwise known as Little Crocodile, one of the most dangerous favelas in Brazil, they said Carmosina, Flora's mom, had supernatural powers. So one night, it's pouring down rain. Most people, they retreated into their homes and there's lightning. It's like flashing brightly. Everybody's kind of freaked out. There's this eerie aura. Carmozina and her kids, they're living in a house that has a Swiss cheese roof, basically. Just a ton of holes everywhere. So the minute that it rains, just drip, drip, water pouring in. They're running around setting up buckets and bowls, catching the rainwater, throwing it out the window, then putting it back so that it could refill. But that night, there's this pounding at their door. A neighbor, 
He's drenched in rain head to toe, begging Carmosina, you have to cure me of my terminal lung cancer. I'm gonna die. Carmosina agreed, let the man in and started the ritual that night. She placed a chair in the middle of the room and told him, sit. Some people who knew her said that a lot of these rituals resembled um, exorcisms more than anything. She would start speaking in unknown languages and in a very low tone. Sometimes it sounded like she was almost growling or hissing. Carmazina's other four kids, they were terrified. Anytime their mom had a little ritual of sorts, they would go hide in their rooms. But Floor was fascinated. If anyone was peeking around the corner to learn and watch, it was Floor. She wanted to learn everything that her mom knew. But instead of like the low-pitched chants this time, it was more of like a high-pitched screaming Carmozina. Carmozina was yelling at the gods to rip the evil spirits out of this man because the evil spirits were the things that were making him sick. And then suddenly, a new hole opened up on the roof and water just starts pouring down onto the man sitting on the chair. Carmozina's husband reached out to move the sick man, but she yelled at him, stop. The entities are curing him with the sacred waters. And Floor watched as the man started trembling, drooling as if he's in a trance, like his body was being taken over. And then like a switch flipped. He went from being so exhausted, so tired, barely being able to hold up his body weight. His eyes were bright. He was present, energetic. He jumped up from the chair like he's never been sick a day in his life. Prime health. And in the following weeks, people saw him skipping around the favela, riding his bike, looking very, very healthy. And everyone said, see, I told you, that witch knows what she's doing. Until the man died. So the day of the funeral, his wife and kids were a mess, crying over his casket, the man's wife and kids, crying over his casket when another wife and kids walk in. They were a small family from the town over and they came to pay their respects to their father and husband. So this man was living a double life. He had two wives and two families in two different towns. And Carmazina held her chest up and said, clearly my ritual didn't work because his life was full of sin. That is something even I cannot cure. And everyone agreed. But there was kind of a question of like, you know, who decides who has supernatural powers, right? Is that something that you're born with? Is that something that you learn? When did she even become a witch? Carmazina might say that it started when she when she was 17, and she bathed herself in her dead brother's blood. So in order to fully understand Flora's life and her dark magic allegations, we kind of have to understand her mom. Carmazina's life is very complicated, and it's said that everything that she learned in terms of dark magic, she passed on to Flora. And it was like the connection between mother and daughter, and also generational trauma. So Carmazina was forced to marry a man that she absolutely despised. He was the definition of evil. He would violently essay her, physically abuse her. He tried to kill her in the sense of just everything, emotionally, physically, sexually, just wanted her to die, basically. When Carmazina was beaten within like an inch of her life, she ran away from her husband straight to her parents. And instead of protecting her, her parents dragged her back to her husband's doorstep and her mom got down and scolded her and said, a man only beats his wife because he loves her. All of this is necessary. This is what's going to make you stronger later in life. So please, if you just do whatever he tells you to do, you're going to get beaten less and less. Carmazina was only 10 years old. After seven oh years gosh. of this, yeah, almost half of her life at 17, Carmazina finally runs away and goes to live with her brother. So this is Flor's uncle. And Flor would never get to meet her uncle, but he was famous in the area. Before there was the witch of um, Little Crocodile, it was Flor's uncle. 
Story said that he is the origin of the Flores family's ties to the supernatural. People who knew him said if he cursed anyone, if he didn't even like you, your fate was sealed. You would die in the most tragic, painful way possible. That's how powerful he was. And that's how his own wife died. Carmazina's brother married a 15-year-old girl. And it said that right before their marriage, he wanted to purify her. And the process included locking his soon-to-be underage bride in a room for weeks. She was allowed to wear nothing but this white gown. And every single day, the door would open and she would just get raw vegetables and drinking water. That's it. That's her diet. This is to purify her body. She's isolated all day. And then at night, Carmazina's brother would come in to purify her. He was assaulting her. This is even before they got married, and it's only going to get worse after marriage. So he's emotionally abusing her, telling her that she's never going to bear children because the entities he worshipped wouldn't like it. But what do you know? After years of being assaulted, she falls pregnant. She was so terrified, she tried to hide it because she knew that this wasn't going to end well. This was going to go against him. This is proof that he's wrong about something, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And this is clearly a man that's not okay with being wrong. He finds out that his wife is seven months pregnant and his reaction is to beat her violently to force a termination of the pregnancy and he allegedly sat her down, force-fed her herbal mixtures that would induce a miscarriage, which, you know, she's seven months pregnant. Whatever he's feeding her is very strong. She ends up getting extremely sick from it and passes. She ends up dying. But somehow, by some miracle, the child miraculously survives. And a series of tragic events were triggered. Carmazina's brother attempted to light his baby on fire. Carmazina saved the baby, her niece. Days later, Carmazina comes home to find her brother dead. At the front of the, his house, he was hung up like meat. In a, you know, in a butcher shop, sometimes they hang meat on strings. He was dismembered and hung up. And his body parts were on hooks and strings. Whoever did this to him, they knew a thing or two about his rituals because they drained him of his blood and stored it in like a vessel. What? So before he was dismembered, he was drained of his blood. It was put into containers and then he was dismembered and hung up like meat. Karmazina, she had every intention of calling the police and alerting them of her brother's murder. But only after she bathed herself head to toe in her brother's blood. Because she felt like that was the only way to transfer his powers onto her. And then she scooped up his baby daughter that she saved and fled. Laudesia would be Carmazina's adopted daughter. Flor's cousin and adoptive sister. And also her biggest enemy growing up. They hated each other as kids. So it could be said that Flor fell in love four times in her life before being accused of murdering her husband. Now we're talking about Carmazina's daughter, Flora, right? Mm -hmm. So Flora's first love was through proximity. Flora had this very innocent crush on her next-door neighbor, Sandoval. And the not-so-innocent part of all of this is that she's 12 and he's 32. But this is a good learning lesson, you know? It's a good moment for all the adults, including Sandoval, to sit her down and be like, hey, you know, these are a lot of big emotions, but nothing's going to come out of this. So it, you know what I mean? But instead, Sandoval, the 32-year-old, starts grooming 12-year-old Floor. Obviously, so many things are wrong with this. And this is not the definition of love. I don't think I have to state the obvious. But Floor's mom, Carmazina, knew about the grooming and imposed just one condition. She said, everything's fine. I'm going to allow this relationship as long as you do one thing for me. 
floor. You are not allowed to have any sexual relations with him before you get married because that is a sin. Floor listened to her mother. But 32-year-old Sandoval spent every waking moment that he had with Flora like a little snake, manipulating her into believing it's only a sin if it's done traditionally. He convinced her that him sodomizing her did not count. Now, Ladesia, if you remember, the daughter of Flora's uncle, the one that killed his wife and then was butchered like meat, yeah. Ladesia was the one of the first people in the family to find out about Flora's essay. She's 22 at the time, and she knew how bad this was. So she went to their dad, because Carmozina had remarried, and said, hey, listen, this is what's going on with Floor. And her hope was that he would be so upset and he would force Floor to promise, I'm never going to see Sandoval ever again, so that Ladicia could have him to herself. She wanted Sandoval. But instead, their dad got red in the face and he was screaming about how he was going to gather up all of his friends and go jump Sandoval and beat the living daylights out of him. Laudicia rushed to warn Sandoval that he had to escape, run away because their dad would never stop looking for him, but she also wanted him to take her with him. Allegedly, he just looked at her and told her, you're too old for me, and ran off. How old is she again? 22. Wow. He's 32. Flora's first love was through proximity. Flora's second love would be through grief. And right now, Flora's house was very tense. Her mom, Carmazina, and her second husband... They just weren't seeing eye to eye. She kept trying to tell him, do not go to that church trip. I had a dream that you're going to die in a car crash. And I told you that my visions are always very accurate. To him, he's like, this is nonsense. He's like waving his hand. He's going on that trip and he's going to take their son with him because this is what you can't just have dreams and then tell me how to live my life. Interestingly enough, Floor herself, she always went on these trips with her dad. But this time she chose to stay home. And her mom just shook her head as she watched her husband and son leave. And she told Flora, I cannot go against God's will. So she stayed because she believes her mom more than anything. She thinks her mom is like a witch, Mm. is the belief, right? And it's like she knew that this would be the last time that she would see her husband, Carmazina. The church concert was a success. And they're all thinking, see, Carmazina isn't always right about everything. They pack into their cars and they start driving back home. And that is when a bus slams into the back of Flora's dad's car. It was really bad. Passerby stopped to check if everybody was okay, if anybody needed help. Authorities showed up to the scene. And thankfully, every single person was alive. Minor injuries, but alive. Police arrived at the scene. They're trying to organize everything. Who needs an ambulance? How to direct traffic? And in that moment, a car comes full speed straight towards them, crashing into the civilians that were standing outside the original car crash, killing seven people, including Floor's husband and brother. That's crazy. Yeah. Do we know what happened? What do you mean? Just a rando, a car accident, purely? car accident. I mean, it's crazy that I'm sure after the first car incident, they were having shaken feelings of like, oh my gosh, what a close call. Maybe Carmazina was right. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. On the day of Flora's dad's funeral, the pastor asked Flora if she could sing for the crowd gathered there. It was all very last minute, and Flora's like 14. She doesn't have a band or a mic. She really does have a beautiful voice, though. She sang a cappella, no mic, in the church, just her vocal strength, and everyone in attendance was moved. For her, her father's funeral was the first time that she felt some level of fame, and it seemed like she really, really liked it. It was her dad's funeral where she would bump into a man named Paolo, her soon-to-be first husband. So the way that they met honestly sounds like a story for the movies. She's singing at her dad's funeral in front of the crowd. She is on like a podium, like a stage of sorts. And when she's done, she's so shaken from the nerves and the grief and like the sadness. And she looks around and there's a man standing next to the stage holding out his hand to help her down. She takes his hand, he hoists her off the stage, and then he disappears into the crowd. She doesn't see him for another four years until she's 18. She's on the church stage singing and she locks eyes with the man in the crowd. It's the kind man that had helped her off the stage at her dad's funeral. And as she sang, he got up from the church pews. It's like both of them were in a trance. He starts making his way through the crowd, coming closer and closer to the front of the church, never breaking eye contact with her, which mind you, it sounds super romantic, but like she's singing a gospel right now, not a pop romantic song. It's a little interesting. He makes his way to the front of the crowd, and the rest was history. She married Pastor Paolo, who told her for the past four years he had been waiting to see her again. I How guess old is Pastor Paolo? He seems old, yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know for certain. Don't quote me on it. I would imagine he was like in his 30s and she just turned 18. So I don't think it was he was waiting four years to meet her again. I'm sure he knew exactly who she was. But conveniently, now she's 18. They get married. They had three children. So Flora has biological children, Simone, Flavio, and Adriano. They will become very important to this case later, but uh, we're going to dive in later, right? Don't worry about it. You say four kids. She's going to have another one with her second husband. Okay. So she's got three biological children with her first husband, Pastor Paolo. And these were probably the most normal years of Flora's life. But Pastor Paolo was convinced Flora was cheating on him. He said that he just couldn't do it anymore. Sure, divorce is bad in Christianity, but he cannot keep up with her sexual appetite. That's what he said. She's just too much. Floor turned around and accused him of beating her. So it was kind of a mess that ended up in divorce and Floor taking her three biological kids and knocking back on the witch's door, her mom's door. Floor's first love was through proximity. Her second love was through grief. And now her third love would be through adoption. Floor, now she's in her 30s, like 32-ish, got three biological children. She's a single mom, and she's heavily involved in the churches in the favelas. She starts trying to do anything that she can to help. She starts bringing in kids from the favela to stay with her and starts informally adopting just any kid that needs help. Any kid that doesn't have present parents or food on the table, she's bringing them in. 
And this case is very interesting because she never formally adopts any of the kids. Legally, they are not her children. And this becomes an issue later because the police accuse her of kidnapping 55 kids. But as of right now, she's taking in random kids off the streets, telling them to call her Mother Floor or Mother Flower, if you will. And she'd be like, what's your name? Michael? Okay, why not today we start calling you Samuel? She really liked names with some sort of biblical undertones. And one of the first few kids that she adopted was her biological daughter's 14-year-old boyfriend. So, you know, his name is Anderson Do Carmo. And this is very interesting. Even after being adopted by his girlfriend's mother, Floor, and moving in with them, Anderson still stayed in contact with his biological parents. So it's, you know, is it really like a full-scale adoption? Some of the kids were because they didn't really have parents around or parents left them or they were killed or whatever it may be. But a lot of the kids, their parents still lived in the same town. Mm, I see. They would reside formally with Flora. They would eat her food. They would stay with her. They, they would call her mom, but they would still sometimes go see their biological parents. Yep. It's a very interesting setup. So that was the case with Anderson. He would go see them frequently, but it seemed like they just weren't really in the space to take care of him as a kid. Because when his girlfriend, Simone, Flora's daughter, breaks up with him, he's desperately looking for some sort of emotional comfort. And allegedly, the rumor goes like this. After Simone broke up with Anderson, he said he wanted to go into the mountains to pray. He wanted to go soul search. But instead of going alone, he asked his adoptive mom, Mother Floor, can you come with me for guidance? I want you to like be there with me, comfort me. They went up the mountain as Mother Floor and adopted son, and they came down the mountain as girlfriend and boyfriend. Anderson was 14 at the time. Floor was 30 years old. This is her daughter's ex-boyfriend. Floor would later refute this and say, no, 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 no. He was 18 by the time that we started dating. But there seems to be a lot of evidence that says otherwise. Allegedly, Floor was even briefly expelled from her church because, you know, pedophilia. But allegedly, she was allowed back in because a lot of the churchgoers were like, I know what she did was wrong, but like she has a beautiful voice and we want to hear her sing. And that's when she found her fourth love. And maybe that fourth love had always been there. But Floor's fourth love and greatest love was herself. Flora loved being Mother Flower. She loved the idea of it, the mother, the mother of the nation, the mother of 50 children. She had this magnetic personality and charm to her. That's, it's just always been like that, though. I think charisma is one of those things like, yeah, maybe you could learn it over time if you buy all these like self-help books online, but some people are just born with it. Growing up, Flora would sit all of her family members down in the living room and she would sing for them. And it was always the same five songs on repeat. But she expected every single one of them to be at full attention and gasp in unison. It like this is the first time they've ever heard her hit that note. Which I will say, she is an incredible singer. She has this amazing soulfulness to her voice, which is great for gospel music. You know, it's just Flora, since the day she was born, she knew she was someone special. And there are a lot of different sides to Flora. So at first glance... She's Congresswoman Floor, Pastor Floor, Wife Floor, and Mother Floor. It's like she has 8,000 lives. Her political career, it started with a vision. She told this story a lot on the campaign trail. She said that she woke up one morning with the most vivid dream. She sat up and she started telling her husband, Anderson, about it. I was alone on the road and all these papers were just on the floor on the street, just stacks of white paper, loose paper. And all of a sudden the wind blew and the stack of papers came up in slow motion and they were just floating. They weren't falling back down. They were just floating, levitating in the air. So she grabs one. 
and she holds it in her hand and she starts reading it. And it, it was a picture of herself and four numbers. These were flyers for her running for the National Congress in Brazil. And she said, God was telling me to run for office. And that's what she did. She told this story on the campaign trail a lot. And she talked about her family life in great detail also. So her main cause as a politician was to shorten the adoption process. She said, as a mother of 55 adopted children, in this process in Brazil, it's so bureaucratic. There is so much nonsense. If a child is in need of a loving home, they should be able to get that soon. Not in a few years when the government decides the paperwork is good enough. There are, at any given point, 9,000 children up for adoption and 40,000 couples looking to adopt. So why are there still kids in the foster care system? Doesn't make sense. Because this cause was so closely tied to Flora's life, for the listeners, it didn't feel like another politician making empty promises that probably had no real interest or connection to the cause. Her whole image of being a mom was so fitting that it won her the seat. Congresswoman Floor made history as the most voted woman in the state with over 196,000 votes. During her time as Congresswoman, she strongly advocated on behalf of children looking to be adopted and children's rights in general. People saw her as an inspiration. Then there is Woman of God Floor. She opened up six churches. She's doing this all at once, okay? She's got 55 kids. She's a congresswoman. And now she's opening up six churches. She was a pastor saying at every single service, she attracted typically a very wealthy and influential crowd, which brought in around $500,000 of offerings every single month. Wow. So she is doing really good she's on a, surface, right? Like, she's a celebrity. She's a celebrity. She's, yeah, she's a very well-known politician, but also a celebrity. She is a gospel singer, signed with the record, produced gospel music. She would have concerts where tens of thousands of people would show up to listen to her sing. I mean, she's internationally recognized for her gospel music. She even did a U.S. tour. She was here in Miami, New York, went to Europe afterwards. She was everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Then there was a side of her that she called wife floor, you know, and she would always joke about her marriage. She talked about the way that she and Anderson fell in love and she would, it, it is kind of like a politician. It's very polished. She said, Anderson started by having great admiration for me. Then it became love. And then we got married and three months later, I gave him 36 children. And she would laugh this big hearty laugh. And you know that she's told that line before, but it, it was endearing. During interviews, Anderson would look at his wife with so much love, so much respect. And he would say, you know, I fell in love at first sight. And I knew that to win Flora's heart, I would have to get involved in the work that she's doing. When I married her, I knew that I married all the crazy things too. I'm assuming he's off age now, right? He's yeah. like 20s? E eventually like 30s. Yeah. Oh. Yes. oh, so this went on for a minute. Oh, okay. yeah. They were together for like 30 years. What? So he said that's when he started helping Floyd look after the teenagers and kids in need during the weekdays. And um, then there was Mother Floor. When it came to being the mother of the nation, Floor said a big part of why she wants to help others is she grew up in the favela herself. She said the favela's people are still forgotten, still being ignored. And it was by walking the alleyways of the favela that I saw the harsh reality of children and teenagers being swept up into drug trafficking. That's why she said she adopted, even when she had nothing. 
So at this point, she's really rich. But she, back then, she wasn't. She said that she would work all these odd jobs, cooking lunches for random security companies, stitching patches for military uniforms. She would eat less food so that she could give the children more food. She would use all of her money to help children. Her grocery receipts were like five feet long all the time. And that was her hard-earned money. She barely had money. But she was willing to do it because if it wasn't her, the gangs would take the children. That's what she said. She said, it's not easy. Do you know how hard it is to work 12 hours a day, come home, change diapers, bottle feed infants, take kids to doctor's appointments, make sure the kids are staying out of harm's way. It's a 24 hour job and then some. And she said it would have been so impossible without Anderson or even the older kids helping. Yeah. I mean, that's you can you have yeah. to vote for someone like that like, yeah that's and she had a lot of really touching stories so one night according to flora she made one of her biggest adoptions to date she was in bed exhausted after a long day of looking after the kids and she heard a knock on the door she already has like 20 kids okay she drags herself to the door 37 children staring at her Flor was living in a two-bedroom house that was already packed with at least a few dozen people And now 37 kids are looking for a home. Where are they going to sleep in this two-bedroom house? Where are they going to shower? Who's going to pay for the electricity bill, the water bill, the food, the clothing, everything? Floor closed the door briefly to think about it. And her mom, Carmozina and Anderson looked at her and they said, like, we know better than to tell you no, right? But like, this is dangerous. Technically, it's not just about helping children. These kids, they could have gang associations. This could be a death sentence for you, Floor. They could try to steal from you. There's a potential that this could backfire and you could get hurt. Her mom and her husband, they try to reason with her. Like, this isn't going to be easy. You can't just let your emotions run your life. Like, think logically. You have to be responsible for that many children. Think of the never-ending stress. Flor said in that moment, it was clear as day what she needed to do. She needed to be Mother Flower. A senator once said about Flor, each adoption that Flora and her husband have made is a story that can be used to write a reference book about what love truly is. Every single kid at one point wanted to be loved and adored by someone like Mother Flora, but Flora wanted them to prove their love first. A lot of the adopted kids said that it felt like a constant competition between the adopted siblings to be Flora's favorite. They had to go through a bunch of strange, unusual rituals and requests to try and get Flora to even notice them. Allegations came out later that Flora, quote, initiated the kids into the family, kind of like a cult. (laughs) That's an opinion, not a statement of fact. Um, She would have them change into an all-white outfit, allegedly, and she would throw them into a dark room for weeks. Some of the kids stated that they weren't allowed to do anything. The door would open, slide in some raw vegetables and water, and that was it. Does this remind you of anything? The more sinister allegation was that at night, these kids would have to, quote, perform sexually for Floor. Again, if that sounds familiar to you, that's what Floor's uncle, the origin of the family's supernatural powers, that's what he did to his 15-year-old, quote, bride. Now, once released from that room, the child would be sorted into their appropriate team. The house was divided. The kids said that there's A team and B team. The A team consists of all the biological kids. Anyone who came out of Floor directly, they were on the A-team. And then a few of the adopted kids would find their way in there. These were the gifted kids. The A-team is where you wanted to be. They quite literally ran the house. They had their own bedrooms while the other kids practically slept on top of each other in crammed bunk beds, crammed into tiny, tiny rooms. You could always tell who was on the A-team during mealtimes. Everybody else would get the same diet every single day of like the cheapest foods in stock, 
But the A team, they would sit there and eat steak, French fries. Those were the coveted foods. They um, had a refrigerator filled to the brim with snacks, but it was locked. And only members of the A team had the key. Even if B team kids were starving, they wouldn't get any food. Sometimes food would expire and it would be thrown out. Do the team ever change? So the biological kids always stay on A team. Um, mm-hmm. The adopted kids, a few of them make it onto A team, but they can easily be swapped. They're so basically you have to earn your way there okay. and keep your way there. Yeah. Neighbors stated that once Floor's career career took off, some of the flower kids they were really well taken care of, new clothes, well fed, always seen at hair salons, spas, getting facials, massages. Like they never had to work a day in their lives. They lived like nepo babies. But the other flower kids, the B team, they would be seen walking around hungry, wearing shoes that were two sizes too big, two sizes too small. They're constantly working nonstop all day, all night to, quote, pull their own weight and contribute to the family's expenses. They had to hand over most of their money to Florin Anderson. And if they didn't, it was alleged that they would get beat with a baseball bat. They didn't look like the kids on interviews with Florin Anderson. One of the adopted sons says, when you're against Flor, you're the literal devil. It was Team A and Team B, the team of good and the team of evil. Some of the kids stopped seeing her as Mother Floor, but instead they saw her as like a Venus flytrap. They said, if you've ever seen a Venus flytrap in person, they don't really look scary. If anything, they look intriguing, unassuming, right? Venus flytraps, they lure the unsuspecting prey into by secreting a nectar. It's a sweet nectar. It's like sweetness. And then when that unsuspecting innocent prey makes their way into the jaws, the Venus flytrap slowly closes, strangling it, suffocating it, digesting it, absorbing it. And when no prey landed on her front doorstep, it said that Floor would go looking for them. Floor didn't just bring in children living on the street with no family. Sometimes she would see a kid on the street and think, okay, that kid's going to be mine. That kid's coming home with me. She would walk up to families on the street and beg them to take their child. And she would tell them, I promise to give your kid a better life than you can provide. To a degree, it almost seemed like she was trying to lure kids to her house. She would tell all of her other adopted kids, like, go tell your friends how fun it is at Mother Flora's house. Go, go, go. She would have these big arcade games that she would buy at her house. And then they would run off and like tell everybody, there's no rules here. Come, come. So a lot of these kids, they would leave their family, just run away to go live and be adopted by Mother Flora. And it's very strange to think about it. If these kids were ever running errands with Mother Flora out and about, they would be like, mom, calling on the street. And if their real biological mom sees that interaction, that's just so strange to me that their real biological parents are there. And yet they're being called new names. They're calling another woman mother. It's odd to say the least. In hindsight, to a lot of people in Brazil, it started to feel like her goal, Flor's goal, was to have as many, quote, adopted children as possible, make that her whole identity, her whole branding, and start gaining some sort of adoration, respect, and love from the community. Not to mention, Flor was a very magnetic character on camera. So once people found out that she had 55 kids, she made informally adopting children her whole personality. Yeah, some of her adopted children came forward later to state that she would come up with these tragic backstories for their lives. They would be introduced on television like, oh, everybody meet Michael. His mom was killed in a plane crash and his dad died tragically in the river and all five siblings were kidnapped by a local serial killer. And they're sitting there like, my family literally lives down the block. 
clearly that's an exaggeration but she really did go around saying that like she fished some of the kids out of the dumpster one story that she practically built her whole political career off of was flora was walking around the favela when she heard a kid being tortured by a gang they were going to kill the kid and she knew it. So she rushed over. And one thing that you know about the favelas is you do not mess with the gang. Like that is a death sentence. You don't stand up to them. You, Even if you look at them the wrong way, you could be killed. So I was trying to like go down the rabbit hole of, of, of favelas. And I saw some YouTubers had vlogged in favelas, right? And someone had commented, there is an unspoken rule in favelas. You don't hit on any woman in a favela. Because you don't know if that woman is the object of affection by a gang member. Mm. And even just saying something nice to her could get you killed. Like that's wow. how easily you can piss off a gang member, okay? So she she said, I'm going to stop this gang from killing this kid. She rushed over, saw a little boy, 13 years old, bag covering his face, bloody, bruised up. There's a gun, assault rifle pointed at his head. He was about to be executed. This is the gang that runs the favela. She stands in between the gun, the kid, and the gang and says, absolutely not. I don't care who you think you are. I'll be damned if you think that you're going to hurt a kid in front of me. She's not scared of the revenge or consequences from the gang. Yeah, that's a whole thing that comes into play later. So she said that she put her own life on the line and said, you know what, gang? If he messes up and tries to get in your territory, you come after me and you kill me instead then. I'm going to take responsibility for this kid. This story was a guaranteed crowd mover. She told it with so much passion. Even when it was people's fifth time hearing it, they'd be bawling. They'd be crying. And remember the story of the 32 children, the 37 that ch children that showed up at her door? There was more to Flora's over-the-top heroic story. She claimed that the 37 kids who showed up at her door were survivors of a massacre. The massacre of Candelaria was one of the biggest events, like tragic events in Brazil. And it was a targeted attack against children without homes. So more than 60 young kids were outside of a church in central Rio when a group of off-duty police officers opened fire on them, killing eight of them. Side note, there are conflicting accounts of why police officers would want to go out and commit literal murder against children, of all people. There are two main accounts. One stated that the police had gotten into an altercation with some of these kids earlier, and this was revenge. The second theory was that they were paid to clear the city of, quote, street children. Either way, a lot of the children fled from the church terrified, and now they really have nowhere to go. Where is safe? Because if they're outside, who's to say that more off-duty police officers aren't just going to come around shooting them? They had nobody to talk to. Floor claimed 37 of them showed up at her door that night, and she took in the survivors of this infamous massacre. This story catapulted Flora into mainstream media in Brazil. News networks, TV shows, they all wanted to meet Mother Flora. They wanted to meet her 50 children. They were so curious about so many things, right? How do they live together? Do, do they take turns showering? How do they have enough food, right? How does one interviewer even ask Flora, how do you remember all their names? And she would laugh and she said, you know, it takes time. I have to stare at their cute little faces and repeat their names. But to me, that's nothing. You know, saving these children from a life of crime, trafficking and drugs, that's what matters, you know. And she takes a lot of pride in not just adopting infants, but even teenagers who have, according to her, troublesome history, if you will. The whole messaging is she's a savior. Now, Diane, her adopted daughter, said, between the adopted kids, there was a feeling that we were being used by Flora and Anderson. Flora never gave us affection or love. It was a house full of anguish and resentment. 
And in interviews, the family seemed perfect. All the kids look like kids. They're laughing, happy, carefree. But many of them would later say, it was all an act. We were not happy. We were not well taken care of. Not only that, but there were allegations that they were being sexually assaulted by their own adoptive parents. After the kids were, quote, initiated into the family, Flora would bring them into a secret room that usually none of the other members were allowed into, and some of them claimed that she would perform, quote, rituals on them. Some of them alleged that they were, um, they were pretty dirty when they came into the house because they didn't have access to a shower. So Flora would say, hey, I need to make sure that you're really clean. A lot of the adopted sons said that she would follow them into the bathroom and start assaulting them during the first bath. And if she liked it, then she would continue to assault them throughout this whole process. And if you tried to go up against it or say, hey, I don't think that we should be doing this, they would be kicked out of the house, allegedly. Other kids said, I don't know about the parental abuse, but a lot of the adopted kids were dating each other. And it was kind of strange. Like there was always this very sexual tension in the house between everyone. It it didn't seem like a family unit. It just seemed more like a group of people, anyone could date anyone. It was just, they thought it was odd. Even kids as young as 10 were dating each other. And allegedly they claimed that Flora not only allowed this, but encouraged it, dating amongst her adoptive children. It was just strange. A lot of these allegations felt like it's nothing like a real family. Additionally, there were allegations that Flora would round up all the teenage, still underage girls in the house, all of her adopted daughters, and offer them up as sexual playthings for politicians she wanted to impress. Or worse, pastors. You know, sometimes you have cases where there are no witnesses, no personal connections to the victim's life to follow. Nothing. The lead is cold, dead end. You have nothing else to explore. You wish that you had 100 people who saw something or knew something, right? But with this case, the police said it was the exact opposite problem. There are too many people involved, too many perspectives, experiences, biases, motivations. And when someone is executed like that in front of their home with most of the wounds to their private area, one thing is very clear. Someone had a very strong, very personal motive. After Anderson's murder... The kids were already divided into groups. The ones who thought nobody in their family had anything to do with the murder. The ones who thought someone in the family killed Anderson. But nobody saw anything. Nobody Nobody saw the killer. No. And just like Floor, Anderson had a lot of people who loved him. Anderson is also a very complicated person. I think this case gets really messy because people start accusing each other of basically everything. But before the murder, Anderson was very well loved in his community. And I'm not saying that the allegations of abuse didn't happen because he's loved in his community. But it just adds another layer of complication. He held his own sermons at church and he was able to really motivate people, connect with them. People said that he was charming. It was endearing that he was also very passionate and dedicated to not only his kids, but to Floor. So most community members, they had a positive association with Anderson. But some of his kids, they did not. Some of the kids stated, Anderson is not the person you think he is. They said Anderson's only goal in life was control. He wanted to control Floor, their children, and especially their money. Some of the kids said, you would think that Floor is the one in charge because she's technically the congresswoman and like the gospel singer, right? All of that, the mother of 50 children, right? Anderson is the one that's making all the calls. He's got the brains, right? And as much as the kids despised him, they do give him credit. They're like, you know what? He is the reason that Floor is successful in the first place. Some kids stated that to Anderson, we were all just numbers. Like we're a business to him. 
Adopted kids would grow up, move out, or run away. And once the numbers started going down in the house, he would go and fetch new kids to bring in. He's not really providing love. This is just to maintain their image of being the adoptive parents of the nation. They said allegedly he would beat the shit out of the kids. And the whole mother floor branding was the only thing that mattered to him. So to the police, once they start digging, initially there's a lot of suspects. Maybe Florin Anderson were targeted by political opponents. Because, you know, they're controversial people. Perhaps... Maybe it was a gang then. Because Floor had been so vocal about how dangerous the favelas had been and how the gangs are like kidnapping children and doing horrendous things with them. Maybe they felt insulted that she's undermining their control there. It's not a far-fetched theory. It could be political. It could be gang-related. Or it could be religious. Maybe it's a religious opponent who just thought that she's dabbling in dark magic allegedly while running six churches and they wanted her gone. Or was it someone closer to the family? Maybe someone even in the family. An expert would state that because Anderson's private areas were targeted, quote, there was a goal here to destroy everything there, an indication of sexual nature, rage, and to destroy everything that was there. A few of the adopted daughters would claim that Anderson would nonstop try to essay them. One of them would later tell officers, you know, Anderson deserved death. It seemed like a lot of people had motive, but only one person had a whole lot to gain. Congresswoman Floor. She was questioned about the night of her husband's murder and things just were not adding up. She denied having gone to a sex club that night by stating that a public figure like myself, I would never end up at a place like this. Even if she had gone there, at least she went with her husband, right? Instead of someone else's husband? Which is kind of an odd way of trying to convince someone that you weren't there. But regardless, she stated that she had actually gone to the beach. Again, we don't even know if this is true. If they had maybe gone to the beach after the sex club. But this is, this is Flora's version of events. And she claims it was just the beach. Something that they would do often to get alone time away from the kids. So they're strolling around the beach, holding hands, giggling like they're teenagers in love. And then in this wild, spontaneous, romantic gesture, she said Anderson ran up to a chair on the beach, climbed on top, opened his arms, and screamed out loud for everyone to hear, I love you, Florida Lee, I love you. People were looking at him like he was insane, but she was just smiling because, you know, their romance was so intoxicating. She said they found a quiet spot, made love in the moonlight, then strolled around a while before making their way back to the car. This is when things start getting a bit strange. Flora said on their way home, she noticed two motorcycles tailing their car. They were driving extremely slow, which is alarming. So there are a lot of motorcycles in Brazil, but they're usually all rushing to get like to deliveries to their next destination. These motorcycles usually don't stay behind cars. They'll weave in between cars to get ahead. But there were two motorcycles just going below speed limit behind them not moving in the same direction as them. She thought it was weird. She started paying attention to it because, you know, they live in a city where there was an uptick in crime rates. But after a little while, the motorcycles took a turn and vanished. So she didn't think anything of it. At 4am, they get to the house, the streets are quieter, no motorcycles in sight. Her husband said that he wanted to work in the car a little bit longer, so she went in herself to check on the kids. Her grandson, Ramon, was still awake, and she was busy scolding him when she starts hearing the gunshots. Now, she stated that originally she wasn't really that freaked out. Gunshots are not that uncommon in this neighborhood. 
She went back to talking to her kids, but then a few things started popping up in her mind. She said, one, why were there so many gunshots fired? It sounded like at least six. Two, why did it sound so close and so loud? And three, where is Anderson? She said she started to realize that Anderson was in trouble because, and I quote, because my husband is always concerned about my safety. With everything, any sort of difficult situation, the first person he'd look for to help was me. Me. Meaning, if there were gunshots fired nearby, Anderson would have run mm. up to check up on Floor. I see. That's when she realized, oh my God, Anderson is probably in trouble. Flora said she believed that this is a robbery gone wrong. The motorcyclists were somehow following them home, hoping to rob them, but instead they were confronted by Anderson, killed him, got scared, and ran away. She later said, I went on a date with my husband, just a date, and it ended like this. It ended with him losing his life while protecting the house, protecting the family. What he tried to do was to... <sighs> Unfortunately, he opened the gate to the garage and he tried to stop them from entering the house. He sacrificed his life to protect the family. That's what she said. Nobody, not even authorities, wanted to be suspicious of her, right? Because she's supposed to be grieving the most. But the math was not mathing. First of all, the dogs. The couple owned two big dogs. I think they lived in the yard and they were notorious for barking at strangers that passed by. Literally, a neighbor walks past the gate. The dogs are losing their mind barking. They went around asking for neighbors if they had heard dogs barking after the gun or before the gunshots. They all responded no. If there were multiple strangers tailing floor from their date to their house and they showed up to shoot Anderson, the dogs would have at least barked, right? That didn't make any sense. They examined the dogs and neither of them showed signs of being drugged. So sometimes robbers will throw treats with drugs to make them, you know, mellow out so that they won't bark. But none of that. The dogs were fine. Huh. Could it really be robbery then? Robbery gone wrong? I mean, this doesn't necessarily cast suspicion on floor. It's just that the police think the robbery theory just doesn't make sense. But they still have to check out all the leads. The police pull CCTV footage from the cameras on the street that showed Flora and Anderson in the car driving home. No footage showed the actual murder itself, but there were some intriguing things that were found. The police were able to track the couple most of their way home, and there were never two motorcycles around them. Why would Flora lie about something like that? And why would she push the theory that the motorcyclist followed them to rob them but then ended up killing Anderson? To the public, the couple seemed madly in love, like little teenagers. But some of Flora's children would later state to the police, the wealthier the couple became, the more their relationship started to show cracks. Some kids stated Anderson had full control over the money, and that was a big pain point for Floor. The feeling being that Floor seemed like the type of personality that wanted to spend all of her money. Anderson wanted to make sure that didn't happen and save a lot of it, maybe for himself, maybe for them, maybe for the kids, who knows. Kids said that Floor complained that the trade-off was unfair. She's like, I am the one singing. Why? Why is he controlling the money? And just to give you context, we don't know the relationship behind closed doors, but some of the older kids reported that the money wasn't even split that unfairly. It was split 60-40. Anderson would take 60%, Floor would take 40%, but Anderson paid all the bills. So he paid for everything, the house, the rent, grocery bills, school fees for the kids, transportation costs. He funded all the kids. That's why he took 60 and he was the manager behind everything. Like Floor literally was just like the charismatic figure. And all of Flora's 40% was just spending money. But there are unsubstantiated reports that their relationship was getting really weird because of this. And Anderson started um, doing some questionable things. So if a new teenage girl came in, this is an allegation, by the way, right? If a new teenage girl came in to be adopted, Anderson would ask Flora if he could 
assault her? Fleur almost always said yes. Another allegation states that when an adopted daughter came to Fleur terrified that Anderson was trying to essay her, Fleur would tell her, if the wife is aware that her husband is looking for someone else, it is not a sin. If that's true, that means Fleur doesn't see this as essay, but just as regular cheating. I mean, that doesn't make sense. But following that logic, maybe Fleur was over it. Maybe she was over him cheating and taking her money and controlling the finances. But would she really have someone kill her husband? Like, that's what the police are thinking. She could just take control over her finances or divorce the guy, right? She can't divorce him. It goes against her image of being a family woman, a mother of 55 children. A single mom of 55 children just doesn't have that good of a ring to it in the political sphere. If she divorces him, she risks her political and religious careers, both of which are indirectly bringing in a lot of money, especially um, being a pastor of six churches. Yeah. So going by that theory, if Anderson is killed, Floor will only gain more love and admiration because she suffered a tragedy. So the motive, there is one. Police, you know, they've got their suspicions about Floor. But the public is still rallying around her. So for a lot of the public, Flora was basically an angel that descended from heaven to take care of the unfortunate. And one of the most famous movies at the time in Brazil was based on Flora's life. So they're thinking, how can she be capable of killing someone? No one even suspected her initially. The movie was called Flora de Lee. I mean, one word is enough to create change. That was the tagline of the movie. Just objectively speaking, the movie was insane. It had some of the most famous Brazilian actors and actresses in it, and most of them worked on the movie for free. They volunteered. They didn't care about the money. They stated they thought that Flora's life story should be told. And, I mean, one of the main actresses, she was like a, you know, the soccer player Neymar, like an ex-girlfriend of his. Like, these are star-studded casts. Like, you're talking about... Yeah, a lot of insane people. Now, if the police were suspecting her of anything bad, the public just thought it's probably because they can't do their jobs. They can't protect these kids in the favelas and they hate the fact that she's shedding light on the situation to the whole world. It's embarrassing them that she can do their jobs better than they can. So the day of Anderson's funeral, hundreds of people showed up from all over Brazil to show and pay their respects. They just felt so heartbroken, not just for Anderson's giant family, but for Flor. You know, they had been together for 30 years and now she's a widow, a single mom. She's got to stay strong for 55 kids. So when Flora arrived, the crowd forced a human corridor for her to pass through. She had a white jacket and big sunglasses over her eyes. She was like in the thick of grief. It looked like people were holding her back from flinging her body onto Anderson's casket. Some people said that she looked like she was going to faint at any point. But halfway through the funeral, it got a little weird. Uh, Flora disappeared and reappeared in a new set of clothing a literal outfit change in the midst of a funeral, and she went up on stage to sing. Mm. I don't think we can dictate how people grieve or show their respects, and I know that a lot of artists will um, use music as an outlet for their emotions, but I think people were a little bit taken aback because the funeral was like two days after Anderson's murder, so it was very fresh. Yeah. Minutes after Anderson was buried, Flora and her kids, they packed into the car and they started driving off out of the funeral. Funeral goers were waving bye to them when they see a line of cop cars pull up to stop Flora's family car. And at first, people just assumed, okay, the police probably want to escort the family home. Maybe her life is in danger because they haven't caught the killers yet, right? It's good to know that the police are trying to protect the family. But instead, the most chaotic scene unfolds. All hell breaks loose. Two people are dragged out of the family car on the way out of the funeral, and two family members are arrested for Anderson's murder. 
Flora's biological son, Flavio, and Florin Anderson's adopted son, Lucas. They were both arrested for the murder of Anderson, and the media went nuts. The biological son is from the previous husband? Yes. Mm. Earlier in the investigation, authorities had asked each kid where they were the night of Anderson's murder. Lucas, one of the older kids, stated, I was partying all night, got home really late. But when the officers went through CCTV footage outside of Florin Anderson's home, there was Lucas arriving home minutes before the murder happened. He was dropped off by a car, ran inside the house carrying a black backpack. Then he ran out not too long after without his backpack. Authorities confronted him about his lie, and he just responded, The backpack? Right, I forgot about the backpack. I just wanted to drop off some laundry. The police were confused. But you don't live there anymore. You left the party that you were at, grabbed the backpack of dirty clothes, and dropped them off at 3 a.m. at a house that you don't live at anymore? He didn't have a good answer to it. Police tried to piece together a potential motive for Lucas, and all of the other adopted kids said he was one of the more, quote, problematic kids. You know, I don't really like that term, but a lot of the family members said that he had a temper. He was very aggressive. He was always involved in some gang activity before he was adopted. And he promised Florin Anderson that he would stop, but he never did. He would show up at home bloody, bruised up. Anderson was constantly beating him, telling him, if you don't stop like dealing with these gangs, I'm not going to keep a criminal in the house. We're going to kick you out. One piece of evidence that really intrigued the investigators was Lucas had texted Flora not too long before the murder. If Anderson comes to me and dares to lay a hand on me, I'll end him. In hindsight, what he texted is really bad. Authorities consider this clear intent to kill, but some, some could argue that it sounds like a teenager that's upset. Best case, it's a wounded ego and it's not a threat. Worst case, it's a threat on Anderson's life. Police went with the latter. But while the authorities were searching the house looking for evidence against Lucas, they found a gun in Flavio's room, the biological son. The murder weapon. The murder weapon had been wiped of fingerprints, but the police knew it was Flavio's because A, it was in his room, and B, there was a single pubic hair on the gun, and the pubic hair belonged to Flavio. So they arrest the two family Mm. members. And this next part gets really unhinged, but both sons were placed in the same interrogation room, seated right next to each other, and the officer presented them with a gun and said, have you ever seen this gun, Lucas? Because we think this gun was in that backpack that you dropped off at the house minutes before Anderson was killed. Have you seen it before? Lucas said, yes, I have. Flavio sent me a message with a picture of the gun a while ago. He said it was his new gun. Okay, Flavio, explain that. Flavio said, I only bought the gun for protection reasons. I wanted to protect my family. From who? From Lucas. He went on to say, while sitting right next to Lucas, that Lucas was very aggressive and violent towards the family, and Flavio was terrified that something was going to happen, so he bought the gun. Okay, and how did you buy this gun? Because it's an illegally purchased, like, black market gun. Oh, I bought it through Lucas. He went on to explain how Lucas took him to see some people that were going to sell him the gun because he had connections. And the logic is just fascinating. Flavio asked Lucas to help him buy a gun so he could protect himself and his family from Lucas. But Flavio continued. He said Lucas even helped him pay for the gun. He paid $700. He pitched it in. Lucas said, no, I didn't. Everybody knows I'm broke. I don't have $700. And then out of nowhere during this interrogation, if you can even call it that, Flavio admits to shooting Anderson. Even Lucas looks at him in shock. And I don't know if it's shock because he just found out or if it's shock from the fact that like, dude, why would you admit that right now? I don't know. Like, what did he say? He's like, I shot Anderson. And the police are like, why did you shoot Anderson? 
Flavia went on to explain how Anderson was essaying not only his sisters, but his nieces. So Simone, his biological sister, his like blood sister, has um, a bunch of kids. And now he's claiming that Anderson was even trying to assault his grandchildren, I guess. The family tree is very complicated. Both Lucas and Flavio were thrown into prison. Flavio would later say, wait, 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 I take it all back. I was coerced by the police to say that. But the damage was done. Investigators were going to investigate the claims and relationships between all the family members until this like house of cards basically crumbled. There were so many kids in the house that all had motive to either kill Anderson or help Lucas and Flavio kill Anderson. A year before his murder, there was an inside joke between the adopted kids that you don't eat food at Flora's house. In 2018, Anderson went to the ER at least six times due to mysterious stomach problems. All six plus times was immediately after drinking or eating something that had been made in Flora's kitchen. And it was a bit strange. He went from wearing pant sizes that were extra large to a medium within a few months. But some of the adopted children felt like something was off. So they started taking bites out of Anderson's food and they too got very, very ill. And then Marcy, one of the adopted daughters, was caught in the act. She's the one that said Anderson deserved death. She was seen mixing white powder into Anderson's food. Now, Marcy had a lot of problems in the family. She had recently been caught stealing $1,000 from Anderson. And she was told if she ever did it again, she would be kicked out for good. So now police are thinking, maybe she helped. Maybe she snapped and wanted Anderson gone so that she could steal more cash. Her search history had things like bad guys, assassins, where to find, someone badass, where to find killers. So was Marcy also involved? Then there's Daniel. So Daniel is the biological son of Florin Anderson. Police found out early on in their investigation that he wasn't actually their biological son. So there's two problems with this revelation, okay, if you will. One, Daniel didn't know for the longest time that he was not actually Flora's biological son. And two, Daniel was kidnapped as a baby. The alleged story goes as follows. Flora and Anderson really wanted to have a biological kid together. They start trying to get pregnant, but it's not working out. And because timing is everything, one of their friends tell them about an 18-year-old girl who's going to give birth soon, and she's looking for someone to adopt her baby. Flora and Anderson rush to the hospital to be the first ones to take the baby from their mother and the 18-year-old biological mom. She said, I don't have what it takes to raise this kid, but I still want to know this child. She said, I will only give you this baby if you promise that I can see this baby once in a while. They said, of course. They ripped Daniel from his mother's arms and then never saw her again. Went back on their promise. That baby is Daniel. So maybe Daniel found out that he was lied to and kidnapped and maybe he snapped and helped kill Anderson. So the police are thinking, Lucas and Flavia are definitely involved, but what if there's other kids involved? Then there was Simone, Flora's biological daughter and the ex-girlfriend of Anderson. She's both Anderson's ex-girlfriend and his stepdaughter. She said this about Anderson. Even at a young age when we were dating, he was rude and arrogant. He was clingy and didn't want me to play with my classmates. He was always searching for me, came to my house. He's just disturbed. Simone did not think highly of her ex-boyfriend slash father, But the police were most intrigued by her Google searches. She had Googled how to buy cyanide, easy to buy lethal poison to kill people. And when the police asked her about it, she said, my friend's dog was sick. So the dog had cancer. We were trying to put the dog out of its misery. So they're investigating every single kid. Yeah. Checking their search histories. And because it seems like a lot of people are not telling the truth. It seems like 
out of the 55 people, we don't even know how many people are involved. Mm. So the question is, how many of the kids are involved? And question number two is, who put the kids up to it? Was it really just the kids acting on their own? Or could it be Mother Floor? Simone also told them that Anderson was essaying people, constantly telling the daughters that they had hot bodies. He would come into their rooms at night and pleasure himself in the dark while trying to touch them. It was a lot. It was a lot. The investigation into Anderson's murder would last three years and would involve police interrogating hundreds of people. And it would ultimately end in the arrest and sentencing of 11 different people, most of them being Flower family members, if you will. Now, I don't want to get too into the legal nitty gritty of the case. And I'm going to try to simplify the trial as best as possible so it's easy to follow. But there are so many moving parts, so many testimonies, so many changing of stories. Flora would argue that she's innocent. Her husband was killed. She had nothing to do with it. But now, now that you bring it up, her husband was an abusive husband who was probably essaying the daughters. So if someone killed him, it was probably because of his crimes to begin with. Then you had Flora's protector kids who said that Flora had nothing to do with this and they were the ones that plotted to kill Anderson all on their own to protect their mother. Then there are the kids who were arrested and they were now saying, hey, listen, Flora's the evil one. I don't even know what I'm doing in jail right now. So let's start with Flora. She was voted out of Congress before her arrest and she was pissed. She told her peers, you're going to put your head up your ass and you're going to regret condemning someone who hasn't been judged yet. Flora begged the public to see her innocence and she said, for those who think I killed my husband, I'm asking you to give me a reason why I would do that. I didn't gain anything from his death. I only lost. And before the trial was in full swing, Flora still had a lot of supporters. Her Instagram comments were filled like, God will always be with her and she won't ever stop giving a hand to those who need it. Stuff like that. But once the trial started, public opinion started shifting. Many of Flora's adopted children started testifying against her, the ones that were not arrested for Anderson's murder. One adopted son stated that after Anderson's funeral, Flora was shouting, I'm free. Mizell, one of of the adopted kids, stated that for the past year, Flora had been complaining about Anderson and actively thinking about ways to get rid of him. And when he told her, mom, just divorce him, she said, absolutely not. They preached at church about the importance of a strong family unit and how sacred marriage is. They would be unthinkable. She responded that she could not scandalize the name of God like that. And when Flora even found out that Mizell was talking to the police for this trial... One of um, Mazel is the adopted son. Oh, okay. One of the biological children went up to him and said, "You know, snitches die, right?" He said he was very scared for his life, and he has not been in contact with Mother Flora or the rest of the family since then. And if you feel like this is turning into a he said, she said situation, text messages were uncovered where Flora literally told Lucas, her adopted son that's in prison, I will give you $2,000 after the job is done. You can pretend it's a robbery, but only Anderson can be targeted, nobody else. In another text message to a different adopted son, Flora said, let's put an end to this. Help me. I'm asking you. No, I'm begging you, Andre. How much longer do we have to put up with this scumbag in our lives? Andre responded, Mom, I got your back. There's not much I can do, but I'm on your side. She responded, Yes, there is something you can do. It's simple. I'll explain it to you. Help me focus to end this once and for all. One week and we can put an end to this story. Later, Marcy, the adopted daughter who was trying to poison Anderson, allegedly, she would declare that she stole her mom's phone and sent those messages to her adopted brothers. Simone and Marcy, they really wanted to defend their mom. 
But another kid said, yeah, no, we're telling you nothing happened in that house without Flora's permission. And it's not in the sense of what if she intervened and prevented her kids from killing Anderson? No, because this isn't coming from Simone or Marcy. The number one person on Flora's mind is always Flora without question. Flora argued, I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know about the abuse going on in my home. I loved my husband too much. He was everything to me. He was my life. I had a suspicion once concerning our daughter Kelly, but I didn't want to believe that he was capable of that sort of thing. He abused me, yes, but I didn't want to believe that in my home he was doing the same thing to other women. Saying, if the kids killed Anderson because of the abuse, she didn't know about it. But in the end, Flora was found guilty of all charges. She was sentenced to 50 years in prison for first-degree murder. Flavio, the biological son who is believed to have committed the actual shooting, was sentenced to 33 years in prison. Simone, Flora's biological daughter and Anderson's ex-girlfriend, was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Lucas, the adopted son who Wait, dropped... Who, who was that? Simone, the ex-girlfriend of Anderson. They think she is a part of it. That's why she got 30. I that see. she was like, con- you know, conspiring with them got to it, commit the it. murder. Now, Lucas, the adopted son who dropped off the backpack, presumably with the gun inside the night of the murder, he cooperated with the police and got a lesser sentence of seven years. Marcy and two of the other adopted kids, they were acquitted of all accusations. Four other siblings were absolved of the murder charges, but they're still facing time for criminal conspiracy. And I think the saddest part it really any story that involves children typically is that children are always the indirect or direct victims in those stories. Flora had over 50 children. And just to sum it up, because I think this case is so complicated, there's so many things, there's so many other little factors of why people really dislike or support Flora, which is interesting, and how they feel about Anderson. There was a netizen who wrote about this case, and I think this sums up the public opinion. So this is not my opinion, but the general public opinion. Although it wasn't definitively concluded that Anderson was capable of sexual abuse, it was confirmed that there was a huge divide in their family. There were favorites. If it's not sexual abuse, some sort of abuse from both Flora and Anderson. It's clear Flora had reason to kill her husband. It's also clear that she had most of her children under her thumb, whom she probably used to commit this horrible murder, then threw them under the bus when it was convenient for her. She also groomed Anderson probably since he was 14 years old, then married him. If she were a man, we'd all be calling her a predator. A lot of things can coexist all at once. So I think it's just, it's really complicated. I do think that Anderson's story gets lost along the way, also because of the allegations of abuse, which I'm not saying aren't true. I I feel like they're unsubstantiated right now, but I do think that there were a lot of bad, weird things going on in that house. And if Anderson wasn't the one committing abuse, he likely knew it was happening. Because there was some sort of abuse going on in that house and it's very clear. But it's just very complicated. I think though the only thing we know is the children since the very beginning, they were the ultimate victims in this case. In one interview, Flora said, if you ask me, Flora, what do you love doing the most in the world? I will always answer being a mother. Because by being a mother, you're receiving way more than you're giving. There are two ways you can interpret that statement. That could mean she feels so fulfilled by being a mom that she is receiving more emotional fulfillment in the process than giving. Or that she enjoys receiving so much love and attention and praise from these children. Is she altruistic or is she selfish? 
there was an incident before Flora's arrest that I find telling. So Flora had a new boyfriend before their arrest and trial, by the way. And before the arrest, because she knew she was getting arrested, she was spending time with her boyfriend at home, getting her hair and nails done. Wait, this is after the husband died. Yeah. She got a new boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. She was getting Botox injections. She was getting her hair and makeup done. And someone was blow drying her hair while she screamed, I'm not a criminal. I didn't kill anyone. I don't know. It's just very telling that she's, yeah. And now in a Brazilian prison, there is a mother-daughter duo sharing a cell, Flor and Simone. Both of them have been charged with the murder of the same man. Simone was found guilty of killing her ex-boyfriend, Anderson. Flor was found guilty of killing her ex-husband, Anderson. Both women shared a lover once, and now they both share a prison cell. Wow. The only time they don't is when Flor's new husband comes in for conjugal visits. Because she married her boyfriend, Alan. We don't even know when they first started dating. That's another thing that people have suspicions about because Flora actually knew her new husband while she was still married to Anderson. And there's even a photo of the three of them together. So that could have added more motive for Flora to want Anderson gone. To this day, Flora maintains her innocence and she said, it's clear that they wanted to arrest me at any cost. They want to make me the mastermind of this murder. That's why I'm asking for help outside of Brazil. I'm begging for help. Floor told a journalist she wanted help from an American TV show called Deadly Recall. It's a true crime show hosted by a celebrity detective. And she told the journalist, this is who I want to help me. I found him on the Discovery Channel. Most people think Floor's mom predicted Floor's dad's death in the car accident. And now Floor has predicted her husband's death. But in a murder. How did she predict? Because if it's murder, you know it's coming. Oh, I see, I see. That was the very intense case of Flora. There's a lot of other things that it's just, it's so, so complicated that it, yeah. There's so many other statements, so many other little things that Flora would have said, but let me know your thoughts. What are your thoughts on this one? Do you think that all of the kids were involved? Were they manipulated by Flora? You really think Flora had no idea that any of this was going on? I think it's so crazy that she was able to fool everyone, the whole country for that long. Yeah that brought her to that level of admiration from the whole country. And then they eventually all crumble down, right? But that's insane. The the amount, the success that she achieved mm-hmm. for that, that long. Terrifying. You, yeah. Nobody knew until yeah. now. People loved her. I mean, she had some of the like biggest celebrities, politicians. She met the first wife of Brazil and they were friendly with each other. Uh, judges supported her. Everybody supported her. Yeah. Nobody saw a thing. Nobody suspected a thing. Yeah. And that just goes to show that children really are just unheard and uncared for in even America. So it's not trying to point fingers at any other country, but just generally in the world. So leave your thoughts in the comments and please stay safe. I'll see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode.